You are now on the scene with Larry Dallas. On the scene with LD, I am Larry Dallas. Of course, you know my co-host Jeff Schwartz. There is a lot going on the past couple of weeks, and I know people have been clamoring for me to do this and be back here. I apologize for the scheduling stuff. I um, I've done. I made my uh, stand-up comedy debut a week ago. I've since picked up another booking next week, where I've got bumped up to comedy host at my hometown of Yorktown at the Yorktown Grill. I've been grinding and doing some soul searching and just kind of figuring out my path and and the best thing for me but there's so much going on in the world there's so much stuff i want to talk to you guys about um you know if you guys follow us on social media obviously i'm larry dallas new york on twitter on scene with ld is the show twitter at the jeff schwartz is my co-host we have a lot a lot to get into it was a tragic weekend this past weekend there's a lot of things going on but first i you know i, I can't do the show alone so I want to bring in Jeff to talk about you know himself and and all the people that help make this show possible. So Jeff, what's going on, my man? Not much, man. It's good to be back on the air for all the Dallas disciples out there who have clamored for our return. More specifically, your return because <laughs> they can hear me every Tuesday on an honorable pod. Uh, if you go to our Twitter page, we are eight followers away from a very special bonus show that's going to come with a very special. Ring of Honor alumni guest. So, uh, no, (laughs) not you. Um, you, you didn't, you didn't work there. If we do an Evolve podcast, you know, maybe we'll get you, get you to tell some stories there. I don't think the statute of limitations on Evolve has uh, been lifted yet, so. No. But, uh, yeah, you can hear me every Tuesday with, uh, my good friend Shane Hagedorn, uh, Ring of Honor alumni, uh, on an honorable mention. Our Twitter page is at an honorable pod. And I am at the Jeff Schwartz on Twitter for those of you that would like to come and talk some talk some stuff with me, sports, uh, politics. I'm willing to engage in anything. I'm open to all ideas. But we do have to thank our audio engineer, our scientist of sound. He helps over at the Honorable Mention podcast as well, and that's my good friend of of almost 15 years now, Zach Johnson, and he's on Twitter at Radio ZT. So go over, give him a follow, thank him. He does our intros and outros here, and uh, he's a huge, huge supporter of both of our shows, and I really appreciate him uh, doing the intros and outros for both of our shows. But uh, yeah, there's a great job that. Yeah, he's got, my, got the return of the Mac for me. That's all I care about. He's he is a sensation on. He hosts a radio show in uh, Indiana uh, every day. Uh, so. Uh, if you hit up his Twitter page, I'm sure you can find out where to listen to him. I know uh, they just launched the Google Play app uh, for his show. Um, so uh, I have an iPhone myself, uh, so I can't get it, unfortunately. But I would love to listen to Zach uh, do his show. So that's all for my plugs and, and uh, stuff. Uh, just you know, a lot of podcasts and uh, a lot of real-world business going on here. And some big... Uh, Big, uh, but tragic news for us the last couple of days. Last last 24 hours, I feel it's been. I mean, there was a lot of deaths in the pro wrestling industry, and I want to talk about um, 
I want to talk about, uh, you know, everybody that, that passed away. I, I think, you know, the first one, um, you know, I want to start with Nikolai Volkov because he, he was a childhood. You know, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 1984. I think I started watching, re- I mean, literally my earliest memories in life were watching wrestling. I, my parents used to say it was the only thing that would shut me up. Um, so I had, I had all the toys, I had the LJN rubber action figures and all that stuff. And Nikolai, you know, he was never someone I connected with. Um, I don't think I ever did a show. I don't even know if I ever met Nikolai, even on those WrestleMania weekends. But, um, you know, you know, it's funny. My, my, my favorite Nikolai story for me as a fan is, I don't know if you remember, obviously, the old Coliseum home videos. So he was a, he was a, a, a Mongol. I think he was like Guido or, or Beppo Mongol. Beppo. Beppo, right? So that was the first time in my childhood where I saw a wrestler with a different name. Because I, when I watched it, it was on a, I don't know if it was a tag, I don't know if it was a tag title, um, the tag title Coliseum. It was one of those Coliseum videos. It was a black and white match. I'm looking at this guy with the, with the weird, like, one part, uh, like, the, 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 like, not even a ponytail, like the top, like almost like a top knot, but with no other hair, um, was their look. And I'm like, that's Nikolai Volkov. And, like, there wasn't the internet and all that stuff, but I remember, it drove me nuts as a kid. But the first time I personally ever saw a wrestler with a different name, and I was like, wait a minute, there's something up with this here. Um, but, but for all intents and purposes, he came off like a really nice guy. I believe he was a councilman. Um, you know, he was a long he was a wrestler for a very long time. WWE Hall of Famer. I, I'm not a ardent um, supporter of that Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, it's special for the talent to get out there and get it, but I don't view that as the. I have a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame vote, so like maybe I'm more of a, like an elitist in that regard. Like I like the like, like the baseball writers uh, voting for the Hall of Fame, but I get what WWE Hall of Fame is, and Nikolai is definitely a star from the childhood, and um, him passing away. You know, at least the only thing you could say is like at least he, you know he was he lived a full life and did a lot of things. And sometimes your time comes. Um, you know, the, the second person that passed away, uh, Brickhouse Brown, who wrestled I think predominantly for for Memphis in the Southern States uh, promotions, right, Jeff? Yeah, he was a USWA guy. He also um, was a part of Super Clash Three in the AWA. Uh, but mostly USWA guy uh, teamed with Reggie B. Fine. Uh, worked a lot with PG-13, which is J.C. Ice and Wolfie D. Um, I, he was a, a very charismatic guy. Yeah. Um, and I personally am a huge Memphis wrestling fan. It's my favorite territory beyond all the territories. May not have had the best in-ring performances, but if it wasn't for guys like Brickhouse Brown, guys like uh, J.C. Ice, Wolfie D, Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler, um, you know, Bart Sawyer, um, you know, all these guys that were just different. Um, Memphis was different. <laughs> Memphis was different. And, and that's what I liked about it. And I didn't get into it until I was a little older. And um, I was probably in my, my early 20s when I started watching it. But it was just... It's funny. I started watching Memphis wrestling as I as I was, you know, really deep into Ring of Honor. So the the level of contrast was fascinating to me. Yeah, Memphis. Even in my tape trading, like you know, I I was a tape trader when AOL came out, and I discovered that people actually taped as much shit as I did back. You know, like I had VHSs of like every. I taped every like pay per view for all the major three. I'd buy the ECW home videos. I'd buy anything you could pass by in a store. 
those little 30 minute VHS tapes that were ripoffs that you'd spend like the 20 bucks that you took out garbage for four weeks for, and like it was just a 30 minute clip tape of something. Uh, when I got on the, on AOL, I remember it was actually, um, it was a sports guy, Bill Simmons, had a, uh, had his own section on AOL, uh, for things, and there was a, there was like, I guess like what modern day would be called message boards. But there was a tape trading section, and I got on there, and I was like, oh my god, like, these people have everything. And what I had, like, when you started out was, like, I had all the WWE stuff, so like, WWE stuff, so like, I could fill people's holes. So literally, for guys that don't know what tape trading is, because you're from a different generation, it's like, you would set the two VHSs, and I'd go out and buy, like, a blank, like, like, a, a 20 pack of, like, VHS gold, uh, like, what, what were they called? What were the, what were the brands? Uh, Gold was one. Um, but, but who made JVC, right? JVC, JVC. was the JVC okay. was the one. They had the red case. So you would literally go buy, like you'd go buy like a pack of blank blank tapes, and that's what you would record things off the v, off your VCR on. But it was also stuff that you would dub. You would you would hook up the two VHSs and you would dub stuff, and um, you know make a copy of it. So you would you would go on that web go on that board, and people would have their their, their tape lists, and you would trade for stuff. So. I kind of started trading immediately for like Japanese stuff or older NWA stuff that I didn't have. Like Memphis, I gotta be honest, and, and, and I hate saying this, Memphis was never my strong suit because there was just so much stuff to watch and so much stuff to get into. And I, and I really got into the Japanese style of stuff. I loved FMW. Hayabusa was, was one of my favorite, was my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, I got to, may, may he rest in peace also. I got to, I got to meet him in person actually. Oh, wow. And that was a big honor. Yeah. He was at the, uh, he's at one of the Dragon Gate shows in Japan. Mm-hmm. He was in a wheelchair, and when I saw him, I was like, I think I went over and just like started bowing, like I was like, oh my god, like 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 he was like my hero. Um, but Brickhouse was a was a territory fixture of a, um, a very good brand of wrestling that a lot of diehards like, a lot of regional people like, uh, you know. And you know, I think he died of what, pancreatic cancer, I believe it was, or, yeah, or, or he, stage four. Yeah, he was very very sick, just a, and, a prostate cancer. Prostate cancer, and you know he's one of those guys. I guess, I guess, like you know, in a different era, might have done different things. Um, but he was a territory holdout, and, and and guys like that are very important to the business. Uh, and you know, he also passed away yesterday. Um, a guy I, I also never met, and you know, don't really know that much about uh, Trevor Lee's father, uh, Trevor Lee, who wrestles for Impact Wrestling. A very talented guy out of North Carolina. The the, the North Carolina scene is very very tight, and. Um, Trevor's father worked with Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy forming Omega, which was back in the 90s, uh, before the independent wrestling boom that would come and before the Hardys got to WWE. And he's a very big part of that. And, and the North Carolina scene is very big. And I don't know him very well. I, I don't know his career very well. And I, I don't like doing fake stuff. But, you know, I know Trevor. I like Trevor a lot. I have a lot of respect for Trevor. And, and you know, my condolences to Trevor and his family. Yeah, I'm going to echo that, and uh, I know that uh, Omega was a, uh, I guess, kind of transition the the connection between Brickhouse and Memphis and tape trading and Trevor. Omega was like the holy grail of tape trading, and, and yeah, for me as a tape trader, I was very fortunate that when I started getting into tape trading. Omega had just started, like, somebody had just gotten, like, a whole group of their library, and this was 90, early 99, so I think Three Count had gone to WCW, so, like, I was a big fan of them, so I would, I got a 
bunch of the Omega stuff, and I was fortunate that I didn't have to hook up the two VCRs together. I had a dual deck VCR. Oh, uh, the cheap you, way of doing it? The, you would, yeah, it was my bar mitzvah present to myself. It was the only money I was allowed to keep. The rest of the money I got for my bar mitzvah went toward college. But I got to keep $500, and I spent $400 on this uh, Go Video <laughs> dual deck VCR where you would play a tape in one and record a blank on the other. Yep. And it was the coolest thing. I still have it to this day. Um, it's, it's sitting in my garage. It still works in case. Well, that's, the, that's the other thing about tape. People are, you had to actually play the whole tape. Oh yeah. So like you're, like, like your, your, your TV was locked up for, for however long you were recording something or taping something. Like, like that's, it's not like as simple as burning something in like three minutes. Like, like you burn a song, it takes 30 seconds now, or whatever it would take now with the internet. I mean, you, if you tape, if it was a four hour comp tape of like, you know, the best of somebody, you sat there for four hours. You were a hostage. You were a hostage to that thing for four hours. And if you had a hot tape that a lot of people wanted, you ended up watching that thing like 15, 20 times. Like you would go, I would get up and go to school, set it up in the morning, come back home from school, then I have to set up another one. Like you were literally copying or watching tapes all effing day long. It literally takes over your social life. Like that, that's what I did when I moved up from the city up here to Yorktown. I was in, uh, it was January of my eighth grade year, and I literally, for about a year and a half, because I I, I didn't really talk to anybody because I moved up from the, to the suburbs. I went from sidewalk and walking everywhere to like this new town where like lacrosse was like the, the, you know religion. And I had no idea what lacrosse was coming up from Brooklyn, um, but it was like you would literally sit there and every single day I'd get home and there was a box. There's a box, you know, the, the old U.S. Postal Service priority mailbox um, in my mailbox of a couple of tapes that I got that I just got in. And I had like a counter in my in my bedroom, like on my dresser. All the tapes I didn't watch yet were on there, and that just built and built and built and built and built and built up. But um, you, you know, but you would be the hostage to what you were recording. So you almost had to have like three VCRs. You had the two that were constantly taping something on one in your bedroom, and then like in in, in the other room or where, wherever you would like would hang out socially. That's where you watch all the stuff you wanted to watch. But it was it literally. Uh, that's why my high school GPA was one point seven. But uh, <laughs> I, I was a two one, but. I mean, so, not much better. I mean, it's but uh, you know, it, it was just it was just one of those things, and and you know, that's what tape trading was. And Omega was Omega was that was very the holy for, grail. It was the first. It was the first big. It was the first big indie as you guys know it now. And, and um, I can I can tell you off the top of my head, the the Kazaa or uh, LimeWire, one of those type of things uh, for for you youngsters out there that don't know what that is, Google Napster. It. Napster. Well, Google Napster first. Yes. Uh, there there was a clip of Shane Helms, and this is what got me into the idea of seeking out as much Omega as I could. And and we'll get back to, to Mr. Cadell here shortly. Um, but Shane Helms dove off a truck, like a semi-truck, 18-wheeler truck, all, and like ran the length of it. And dove through a table, through who somebody laying in the ring, and I saw that clip, and I was like, "Okay, the company's called Omega. I need all of this. This is <laughs> this is crazy. Like they did they did some stuff in ECW, and that was wild and everything, but you never had like a real life piece of equipment, I guess, like an eighteen right. wheeler truck would be. And I I when I saw the news yesterday that Trevor Lee's dad Tracy had passed away. 
I knew the name, and I, I Googled his uh, image so that I could see what the guy looked like, and he looked very familiar. I never remember seeing him wrestle or anything like that, but to lose your, your dad at such a young age as you're you're really rising up the ranks and he's a big part of impact and pwg and some of the other indies that are out there and that's got to be hard i i I mean we're both very fortunate that you know our families are still doing all right but i mean he's younger than both of us it's um it's this is one of those things in life and, and wrestling has a lot of unsung heroes that people don't get the credit for because you don't see them and, uh, you know, he definitely seems like one of those people that will be remembered fondly by those that knew him. And I think that life, that's a great legacy, uh, to, to, to leave that kind of mark. And I, I, I know, obviously love the wrestling business, but, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about him to really talk about him. Uh, I just wish, you know, I hope Trevor, um, you know, gets through it. I hope he heals up and, uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure, honestly, I'm sure his dad couldn't be prouder of the wrestler Trevor became, so. Which is you know one of the one of the best wrestlers out there uh, going today, and that's not hyperbole. That, that, no, that's, that's fact. And um, but I, I, I hate using the term main event because I don't think that's the uh, I don't think it's a proper verbiage. But the, the the biggest name for for this generation that that passed away yesterday, um, Brian Lawler, Brian Christopher, uh, Jerry Lawler's son, you know Grandmaster Sexay of uh, Too Cool. Uh, you know he passed away. He hung himself in a in a prison, uh, he'd gotten his third DWI and, uh, you know, had, uh, faced some, and, and felony evading arrest and, you know, was facing a lot of years in prison and he decided to hang himself. And, you know, that one hit me the hardest because, you know, he made it. Um, you know, he was a, he was a major, major star. And I think a lot of times and, you know, I talked about in our first ever episode the, the 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 downs that come when you feel like you lose everything, and it was uh, ah, you know, it's like um, when the run's over. There's this old Eminem quote from a song. He goes, you know, you know, so um, you know, this is your moment. You know, and every single minute you're in it, you spend, you know, so, so whatever. Never know when it'll end or whatever, you know, so you spend as much time as you can to get, you know, everything you can out of it. He goes, but when your run is over, just admit when it's at its end. And the, when your run is over, just admit that it's at its end part. I botched that whole lyric. I'm not a rapper. Um, it's something I always thought about. Whenever I heard it, it really resonated with me. And I, I feel bad for people that when their runs end, they don't know what to go through and what to do next. I'm, I'm going, I've gone through that this year, you know, um, uh, wrestling is is in my rearview mirror, and I'm, and I'm I'm working on other things and trying to figure out the the, the next best step for me of what I want to do. I want to stay in entertainment, and do other things, and it's you know I, I I posted on Instagram yesterday uh, when I got off work, and I said that you know I I only wish that people can fight will fight their demons as hard as they fought for their dreams because to make it at that level for however long you make it. You know, um, all the effort work to get there to become a true genuine star. It, it's sad to see people waste that away because of the, the, the toll it takes sometimes to make it and the toll it takes sometimes to get places. It takes a piece, takes large chunks out of you that people don't see. And it's, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can look in the mirror 
and someone might see you because you're doing something national or you're doing do something big, and they might see like, oh my god, you're on MTV, or oh my god, like, oh, dude, you have a you have a national radio show, or or you wrestle for WWE. But when you look in that mirror, sometimes you remember all the sacrifices you made to get to that level, and a lot of times those that that baggage comes with you, uh, it, and it happens. I heard Meltzer say that you know Brian was talking about getting clean, but that you know there's wrestler clean and there's like clean clean. Yeah, and, and and I hate saying that word too, but but um, but it's just it's just a shame that some that another person that had it all. It's not tragic that someone had it all, you know, um, the, the, the dr- drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. Listen, you know, there's a lot of people out there fighting addictions. Um, it's just sad that, just sad to see because it shows you how, you know, sometimes even making it. Doesn't mean you made it. Doesn't mean that like life's gonna be good and, and 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 rainbows and butterflies all the way through. And and that really hit me when I when I saw that. And um, you know, again, another guy I didn't really know personally. I think I've run into him a couple times over my over my run. But uh, you know, um, I hope it's a wake up call for people. And I hope people really think about it and and realize that you know, on a fan level, entertainment entertainers are human beings, and they go through things like everybody else does. And they go through things that a lot of people can't relate to and people you can't really talk to about it because no one's going to really understand what you're going through. And just on a, on a, on a professional level, on a wrestler level, I hope everyone looks at themselves a little bit closer and questions some of their decision making and goes, number one, what's my plan for when it's over? Cause there's only one John Cena in a, a generation. And number two is, you know, are the decisions I'm making today best for my future and I wish that for everybody in life and it just was uh it was very hard for me to to, to, to yesterday I was getting text after text from from friends and family like oh so and so died or oh so and so died or, oh so and so died I'm sitting there I'm like Jesus Christ like what the hell's going on today and and I really spent today like really thinking hard about it it's just uh you know um just it's just it's a sad day overall but uh for me personally the the, the Brian one bothers me the most because I just, you know, to know what he was going through and all that stuff that, that he went through and, and, and kind of in a way feeling like I can understand how he was probably feeling inside about certain things to, to a degree, not to the level that he was, but to a degree, uh, really resonated with me and it, and it, and it really, uh, it sobers you up a, a lot in life, it makes you think about a lot of things. And, you know, um, I hope that he, uh, I hope that he rests in paradise and, and finds peace and, and that the eternal strife's gone for him. And that's all you can ever hope for anybody when, when they take their own life and, you know, suicide's never the answer. And you know, I've told people, I've had people message, fans message me before, telling me like about the, when they were when they were feeling better, or whatever. That's why I always respond to everybody, because you can change a person's day by just being a little bit nice, a little bit more supportive. So I just I just hope that he finds peace, and I hope that everybody, fan, you know, Twitter troll, uh, wrestler, or you know, ring crew guy, all looks at that and and, and takes some deep lessons out of it. The the Brian Christopher death for me and and I I've talked to you about this over the years. It really hit me very hard yesterday, and I'm gonna try and not get emotional or, or take too long on this. But for me, it, it it just brought up a lot of sad memories um, because his death was very similar to Larry Sweeney, who. Many of you remember from Ring of Honor and Chikara and various other independents. 
and Sweeney was somebody I was very close with. Uh, he was somebody of ex- an extreme level of intelligence that is rarely found. Uh, you could talk to the guy about anything, but he had a lot of emotional and mental um, issues that he was struggling with. And obviously we talked about how Brian passed away, Larry passed away in a similar manner, not in a jail cell, but, uh, and I will leave it at that, but it, it made me very sad. It brought back sad memories and I, I, it's why I don't do the open casket thing at a funeral. I don't want my last impression of somebody to be them laying in a casket having passed away. The other aspect of Brian Christopher's death, and, and you and I have talked about this as well over the years, um, when you are a second generation in a family and you are in the same field as your father or mother, there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of pressure on you to live up to the foot, you know, follow in their footsteps just as successful as they were, if not more. And I not only have shared an industry with my father, I'm now currently sharing uh, in my shoot job an industry with my mom. And my mom is incredibly, incredibly successful in her business. And the company that she works for has given her uh, an exclusive award that she's the only woman in the history of the company to make what they call their President's Club every year she's worked there for 20 years. She's been the number one salesperson in the country for, uh, I believe, 12 of the 20 years. And to follow in that footstep like Brian was doing with his father, Jerry the King Lawler, who, King of Memphis, you know, the face of WWE television announcing for many, many years. Um, a guy who also lived a very opposite lifestyle as Brian. Yes. Brian was, was, you know, Jerry Lawler didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He never touched in his life. No, and that blows my mind, especially considering the period <laughs> of time that he was a famous performer during and who he was hanging around with, the Andy Kaufmans of the world. Uh, I mean, just amazing. And Brian, unfortunately, and this is something you see very often in famous families, and it's not to say my family's famous because it's not, um, but in terms of Brian Christopher, he's Brian Christopher because he didn't – he. They couldn't trust him to be Brian Lawler, son of Jerry Lawler. And, you know, you saw Brian Christopher come become Grandmaster Sex A and achieve his greatest of fames and still not be able to escape the demons and the pressure of his life, his, his just growing up in that environment. And to me, that's the saddest part of his passing is that he just could never outrun whatever ghost was, was behind him, be it his father's fame, his father's sobriety, you know, and lifestyle being Jerry's kid. 
that is that that is so hard, and it's got to be just weighing so heavily on Jerry the King Lawler right now. And I just, as as a fan of Brian Christopher, yeah, uber talented. Uber talent. Just, I mean, the WWF version that you saw when he was with Too Much and doing the cruiserweight thing early on, and then uh, when they became too cool. Like to me, that's not the best Brian Christopher. The best Brian Christopher was the heel in Memphis, who could literally just look at some fan in a TV studio, and that fan would want to riot. Yes, the individual, an individual fan. He could just make a look at him, like stick his tongue out or something, and the fan would go crazy. Yes, and and as we talked about earlier, my love of Memphis, USWA, was uh, uh something we got here on television. So I got to see a lot of Brian Christopher before he headed off to the WWF, and um, you know, as somebody that's been following his career for a long, long time, this one just really. You know, it's not like he was Nick, Nikolai Volkov in 70 years old. It's not like he was Brickhouse Brown and had a terminal disease. And, and it's certainly not like, uh, Tracy Cadell who had, you know, a heart attack. Yeah, it's, it's different when it's, it's different it's, when it's this. It's just something, it, it's a, it's a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I, I just, I'm so sad about Brian Christopher, and I I kind of know a lot of the the feelings and stuff that that were rattling around in his head, and definitely not. I don't understand the suicide side of things, but having to follow in your father's footsteps or your your mom's footsteps, whoever, like that pressure is so burdensome. Yes. On you, and I just I, I want to send my heartfelt condolences out to anybody that worked with Brian, was friends with Brian. Um, I saw him in New Orleans at uh, WrestleCon, um, not this year's New Orleans, but the first time they did New Orleans, and I talked to him for probably ten minutes, um, and he said, "Oh, you know, do you want an autograph?" I said, "No, man, I really just would would love to talk USWA." And at, at that point, he just kind of looked at me very funny and, you know, he, he was like, USWA, why would you want to talk? I was like, I love USWA. And he was like, all right, man, what do you want to know? And I asked him some questions and he he said to me before we parted ways, because um, I was going to go watch the $5 wrestling show uh, that Cabana was doing. Uh, he said, you know, hey, thanks for like, not looking at me as a, a sports entertainer. And I said, I mean, you're always going to be Brian Christopher. Like, that's, that's the deal. Like, you're that guy. Like, that's the, that's the guy I, I'm a fan of. Yeah. W- just- the WWE can do whatever they want to you. It's WWE. I'm not going to let that, you know, cloud my judgment. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I, you know, if, if you know, Dave Meltzer, for whatever people think of him, I, I respect the hell out of Dave, but Dave's the guy for career retrospectives and obituaries. I, I, it's it's not what he makes the big money for, but for his story and a, and a fan that really respects certain things, it's it's definitely a major, major, major um, plus to him. So, you know, if you if you know about these guys or want to find out more about their careers, I, I highly suggest subscribing for The Observer Online. It's like $9. 
a month because the Observer um, obituaries for these guys is always, always, always a must-read for me as a fan. So, But, um, you know, I, I don't want this to be a, a solemn show. We had a lot of deaths to get through, and, 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 I, and I felt like I really wanted to. But, you know, for those of you that know, that listened to the last one, I was talking about I had my comedy debut coming up. And I, I did that last week, and um, well, not two, or two weeks ago. And you know, I I I I, I watched the Comedy Central roast yesterday because, like, now, you know, the wrestler in me now, like the wrestling person in me now, is like, I'm gonna watch everything I can about certain things to find out what people do to make them successful. And, and I gotta be honest with you, man. Like, I I was not familiar with Nikki Glaser's work, and I don't know how many people watched it, but it was the roast of Bruce Willis, and Nikki Glaser yesterday had me pissing in my pants. It, it, it was just, I, I I could not get over the jokes that were going on there. I, I, it was, and I've watched a lot of the roast. I like the roast concept. I think it's funny when people go up there and get and get ripped apart for, 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 for everything. But yesterday might have been one of the finest comedy spectacles I've ever seen because I was crying, crying. Almost like, I was like standing up like, um, like NBA players at a dunk contest. Like when you see a great dunk, they're all just standing up, like applauding and falling out over each other. Like that's how that's how yeah. funny parts of yesterday was. And um, it, I, I, you know, it, it, you, you gotta watch. If you can go out of your way, if you have Comedy Central and you didn't see it, DVR that roast because that might have been the funniest freaking thing I've watched. I I, I can't tell you how long. So so let's kind of talk about this roast concept because I I too watched it. Um, I'm a huge Bruce Willis fan. I love Die Hard. It is a Christ- hey, hey, motherfucker. it is a Christmas movie despite what Bruce Willis told us last night. Yeah, that kind of hurts me. Yeah. Oh, it broke my heart. It broke mine too. Um, because it's the only movie I watch on Christmas um, and Hanukkah really, or anytime oh. it's on. Really. Dude, it's the, listen. Die Hard opens up with with uh, Christmas and Hollis playing. Yes, it's, so it's, it's, it's a Christmas a, movie. It's a Christmas movie. It's Christmas Eve at Nakatomi Towers. That's that is a Christmas movie. Um, but but we do but have, it came out. But it came out in July. Yeah, I was shocked about that part because I didn't I I didn't know that it came out in July. Yeah, uh, I did. Um, that, there, the July thing hurts. It. There's actually a director's uh, note that it was supposed to come out. The previous December, and something had to be retaped, and he wasn't available to retape it, oh, so that's really? why there was like a seven-month delay. Yeah. Uh, but um, some of the other people that Comedy Central has roasted over the years uh, include Dennis Leary, Jeff Foxworthy, Pamela Anderson, William Shatner, Flavor Flav, which his roast, by the way, if you've never seen that, go out of your way. Uh, Bob Saget. Was another good one. Larry the Cable Guy. I never saw that one. Not my style. Uh, Joan Rivers. David Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff uh, was good. Yeah, the, the, the guy in the White House. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Roseanne Barr. James Franco. Justin Bieber. Rob Lowe. And of course last night, Bruce Willis. And they have celebrity hosts for these various roasts and I, I, last night was Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I, to me, like he was the perfect host because he's this, you know, young, younger. I think he's like my age, um, and and he's he's got nothing to do with Bruce Willis other than the fact they were in one movie together. Yeah, actually, he's uh, thirty-seven. God, 
He's just, been around a while, man. Yeah. He's been around a while. But you, you get this panel of all these different comedians and uh, actors and people associated with the Roastee. And you had people like Sybil Shepard, Ed Norton, uh, Nikki Glazer, who was great last night. She stole the show, really. Yeah. Um, Lil Rel, who I think is absolutely hysterical. He actually cribbed a line for Get Out from Die Hard. T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> was stolen from Die Hard. I did yeah. not know that. And then I Googled it to see if that was just something he wrote. It's true. Hundred percent true. He's he's been quoted in the past as saying he he literally took it from Die Hard because he loved the movie so much. So so I was watching it yesterday, and I was watching it with a couple twenty one year old girls. Um, twenty one twenty two year old girls. Were. <laughs> no, that's that's not it's not it's not a stick. Um, and you know it's funny like they they were like first of all they were like who are these people it was like what they were asking. I think I there was like three of them so they're like who are these people, and then um it was uh. They were like, you know, a lot of these jokes are racist or offensive. And I was like, it's a roast. It's supposed to be kind of racist and offensive. That's the point. That's the point. Like, roast is like the outside boundaries of comedy. It was, it was just very interesting to me, though, to literally that, like, I mean, I guess it's, not, it's another generation. I mean, God, I have 12 years. on I'm getting old. Um, but uh, they, um, they, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. Like, they, they really, they were like, they were offended by it. And I was like, what the like, what's wrong with you people? Who raised you children? It was, that part, that bothered me. But I, I guess maybe, like, I, I don't think this gen, I don't think the new generation likes harsh comedy, which is insane to me. Because, like, Nikki Glazer opened that show up, and I mean, I'm t- like, she could have dropped the mic, walked up, they could have ended the show right there. It was that good. Like, I, I, that's what comedy is. It's just, uh, we already live in a world now where, like, where, like, wrestling's going PC. Oh, which, by the way, like, sidebar thing here, you know, all these baseball players getting uh, their old tweets resurfaced. Welcome, oh. welcome to the wrestling business. Because we've been going through this for about four or five years every time someone gets signed to a contract, which I'll get into later on when we're going to talk about Hulk Hogan. But welcome to wrestling. I am so happy it's now happening to a mainstream sport that people care about with big-name guys because the shit's got to stop. Because stuff that people say when they're 18 or 16 on Twitter with their group of idiot friends is not offensive when they're 25 or 26. It's called mistakes. It's called stupidity. And when they're quoting rap lyrics, I'll, I'll get into this. I'm going to bury the lead with this. I want to get this later on when we talk about Hulk Hogan. But welcome to wrestling because we've been going through this for years. There's so many people that that, that lost jobs because of old tweets, all this other stuff. I, I it just I, I'm I'm sad that it's happening now to more people. But there's part of me that's so happy now it's become a mainstream co- topic of conversation because I'm really curious to see where it goes. But um, anyway, comedy. So so this this roast thing that, that Comedy Central does every year, um, for whatever reason, they skipped it in 2017. Um, but all these celebrities that get roasted, um, they're, they're all supposed to have a retort at the – a retort – Retort. Retort. Easy for me to say. A retort at the end. And Bruce Willis revealed last night, um, after, uh, even a, there was a, we neglect to mention the surprise guest last night. Every, every roast has a surprise guest that has something to do with the host. Demi Moore was the surprise guest. Bruce Willis's ex-wife, the mother of his three daughters. 
What was the line about him getting replaced by Ashton Kutcher in a movie? Uh, it was uh, uh, that was that was Nikki, right? Or was that was that Joseph? It was Joseph Gordon Levitt that said it. Um, uh, it, was, it was at the beginning. The, the roast was fantastic. You got you guys got to watch it. Yeah, it, was, it, it was just he said high, something. It was high something the fact of he was because uh, he played in Looper. He played a young Bruce Willis, and he said uh, in Looper I played a young Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis played an old Bruce Willis, and in reality. The real young Bruce Willis was Ashton Kutcher. There you go. That's what it was. Yes. Delivered much better by Joseph Gordon-Levitt than it was by me. Cool comedic timing. Yes. Um, but it was very funny. It's something everybody should go out of their way to see. And I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I pitched this idea to you before we did the pre-show meeting. I, I, and I've, I was thinking about this almost all of, of the roast last night. What other celebrities would I like to see get roasted? You know who my number one pick is? You let's let's uh, give two or three. How many? Uh, I'll, give, how many I'll, give, I'll, I'll give my number first person that popped in my head just now. Okay, Vince, Vince McMahon. Okay, see, I I I thought about Vince, but I feel like people would be afraid. I uh, they might be afraid, but Vince McMahon would be the perfect one. Yeah, I, I think he'd be a great candidate. Um, I'm, and personally for me, my number one overall pick above Vince would be Howard Stern. I don't think Stern would do it. Kim Kardashian no. would be a good one. Kim would be a good one. Um, how, I don't think Howard would do it because I think his – Howard has too much money. No, well, I mean look at some of these other people. Donald Trump, uh, you know, Charlie Sheen, uh, Rob Char- Char- Lowe. Charlie Sheen doesn't have money. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore, but I mean, in terms of the level of fame, Joan Rivers, Bob Saget, William Shatner, Pamela Anderson. I mean, it's not so much the money factor as it is like, you know, do you have good, would you create good material? And I feel like Howard would definitely create good material. Can Bobby we, Heenan would have been the best roaster of all time. Oh my God, yes. To keep it wrestling related for people that just come here for the wrestling. Bobby Heenan would be the best roaster of all time. Yeah, I would say Bobby or Paul Heyman or Jim Cornette. Cornette might be funny. Heyman, Heyman, Heyman's pretty. Heyman's really good. Heyman's I, really funny. I, I would, I would say underrated would be Bruce Prichard. Okay. Um, I, I think Bruce would be an underrated roaster, but I, I would love to see. Um, you know, if if we're making this a wrestling draft in terms of people who are, no, it's it. just it's just Bobby. Like, I, on any level of comedy, I think Bobby Heenan would be the greatest roaster of all time. Oh, 100 percent. Like, I, I just Bobby, I just came up with Bobby Heenan because I think like Bobby Heenan on any one of those. If if Bobby Heenan was on a dais, like I, I I literally think he would steal the show every single time. He knew the person. And I, Wait, I, he, even if he didn't, mm-hmm. he just did a little research. Uh, Larry Sweeney would have been another good one. Yeah. Um, but. I would like – I think – let's do this. On the spot, uh, top three pro wrestling-related people, aside from Vince McMahon, we'd like to see roasted. Top three I'd like to see get roasted. Uh, you, you give me your number one pick. I'll give you my number one pick. We'll go back back and forth like that. So, right. uh, so start, with, start with three, and then we'll go to one. So, okay, so I guess number three – you know who I'd like to see get roasted? Gabe Sapolsky. Damn, that was gonna be my number three. Uh, so I guess for my my third pick, um, I'm gonna go with with Jeff Jarrett. Okay. Uh, low key. 
That's a good one. Um, I'm going to say, for number two, I'm going to say Jim Ross. Jim Ross. Okay, I can see that. I just don't want to become, um, I I wouldn't want anything Bell's Palsy related. No, 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 no. No, I'm saying like talent relations, the generic barbecue sauce related stuff. I mean, I think think Jim Ross would be my number two. And I think ATM Eric would be a, would be a great one to get roasted. All right, so I'm gonna go a little bit off the radar with my number one, but I want to see. And and now keep in mind, all bets are off with these roasts. Um, yes. Obviously, you're not gonna make fun of Jim Ross for Bell's palsy, but uh, someone would. So, yeah, but it's too much, and it's not funny. Um, no. I think there's enough material there for. Um, but my number one pick to get roasted by a set of comedians, people from wrestling, with no repercussions, no punishments, Triple H. I can see that, but Triple H is a very dry guy. I mean, he's funny, but he's very like he just seems so buttoned up, professional. Like he didn't, like, he's not a drinker, he's no. not a drunk guy. So I don't know if you get that out of him. Um, no, but, but you could roast him for for all sorts of other politicking. Yeah. You know, having a giant nose of really bad looking haircut for all those years. I mean, all sorts of things. But uh, so. the, the, re- the reason why we're talking about the roast and stuff like that in comedy was because I did do my comedy debut um, a couple, like about two weeks ago. And honestly, dude, like, I think I said it beforehand. I, I said that comedy is the scariest form of entertainment. Uh, right? Because it, it's just you alone with an audience trying to make them laugh. And I did really, really well. And it was freaking petrifying. And the funniest part was, and you might, you'll get this. I hope some of the fans will get this. So I get to the show, Jeff, right? And I walk in and, you know, so I go up to all the other comedians. I go up to them, I shake their hand, I go, thank you so much for letting me share your stage tonight. I know it's your <laughs> career. Like, I literally went like, like, like a wrestler, like in wrestling, I'm supposed to walk up, like old school would be like, you go up to the, to the vets and go like, hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Great. You know, Larry, nice to meet you. Larry, nice to meet you. So I literally went up to all these comedians and I think they all looked at me like, who the fuck is this weirdo? Like, like, you know, like, cause everyone's just sitting, they're all sitting there, like, drinking beers, hanging out, just like, relaxed, it's like, calm, cool, collective, right? Meanwhile, I'm out in the back parking lot of some bar, pacing back and forth, like, like a madman with, like, my headphones in, get myself all pumped up to go out there. I'm like, so the girl goes to, she's like, like, yeah, like, any advice or anything, or like, anything you want to go over? I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't really want to go over the material or anything like that. I go, but, uh, like, I gotta ask you, like, you know, like, in wrestling, like, you know, like, the music hits and you kind of wait for the bass to drop. You come out all pumped up. I go, you just kind of go up there dry. I'm like, 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 what am I like? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, like that was the hardest part. Jet. Like, dude, the hardest part was like standing there, like, like, so all of a sudden you go out there cold. Like, okay, here's Larry Dallas, and it's like, here's your microphone. It's like, all right, we're going right to the fucking jokes now, aren't we? And dude, they, uh, like, they give you that pleasant applause, like, oh, we don't know you, but we're gonna clap for you because well, that's our job. Well, with my local, it was the Yorktown Grill, my local bar where I work at. So like. The crowd was there to see me, but, like, all of them would admit to you, like, they literally showed up to see me, but hoping I failed. But, like, they're going to come see me, and, like, if I failed, it'd be a lot funnier, like, but but then I, dude, I crushed with everybody. And it, it was just, you know, I, 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 you know, the whole week I was thinking up stuff. I was trying to write material. I'm thinking about, like, you know, thinking about what Carlin does and all these other people do. And what I really found for me personally was, um, you know, it's went very much back to the roots of, of me and the roots of me was always like I, I, and if I'm wrong on this but I think my connection with the fan base was always that I'm very raw 
and self-deprecating. Like, like, like you're in on the joke that is my life. You know, like I, I'll sit there and say something, and people just laugh at what I'm saying because number one, it's like you know I really mean it. Number two, it's absolutely ridiculous, and number three, like I might be a certifiable idiot. Like, like you know, like it's all three of those things together, and, and that's what we, and that's what I did. I, I just went into like you know relationship stuff and. And I made a couple of jokes about being an entertainer in, in, in 2018 and all that stuff. And it was it was, it, it was it was a lot of fun, man. And I only got five minutes. And the 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 the, the hardest part for me was so for those of people that don't know comedy, the uh, the producer or the host will take their cell phone and they'll put the flashlight on and wave the light at you, which is almost like the referee giving you the Iggy, like ah, it's go home time. Now in wrestling. You get the time, you get the call to go home, like, you fuck, you, you go right to that spot, you go for the, you know, like, you're finishing that match right then and there. In comedy, I guess, like, it just means, like, wrap up your shit. So I was, like, mid-joke. I got the light, and I just, like, I, I, I speed-rounded through it. Alright, thank you so much for coming out, everybody. It's been a great time. Uh, here, here's your next person. Like, just, like, so, like, I botched the ending, because I didn't understand comedy protocol. So it was a, uh, it was great. And then I botched the, of course, you know, like I always would do. I botched the ending, and um, but it was a lot of fun, man. And uh, and I have my next gig uh, this coming Monday at the Yorktown Grill. So if you're in the New York area, Yorktown Heights, New York, it's on Downing Drive. It's the Yorktown Grill. I'm going to be the host of uh, this comedy. They bring up a bunch of professional comedians from Manhattan and all that stuff. They come up here. We have four comedians. Um, I'll be MCLD, but I'll also get to do like my own opening. You know, like 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 Joseph Gordon Levitt did yesterday. I'm the guy that comes up first and the guy that goes in between everybody. So I need to, within now two weeks now, come up with not just my first set, but I need to come up with my second set of whole new material. And I'm really excited for it, man. It was uh, it was very rejuvenating, and I, and, I, and I really have a lot of passion for comedy. I'm going to an open mic tonight to actually do what I did the last show in front of a new audience. And uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'll tape next week's stuff and, and get that on YouTube for people, hopefully, so people can see it. But uh, comedy was a lot, a lot of fun, man. I think I found my new... Uh, I think I found my new passion, um, you know, my, my new passion uh, career because it, it's a lot. I love being in front of an audience. I love making people laugh. It's, it's way, it's so much fun. Being a heel is fun in wrestling. Making people actually laugh out loud at, at, at shit you're saying about your own life, like that, is a high that I never had before in my life. So, so what is the date on that uh, comedy so, gig? August. That's August 6th, right? So August it's Monday. 6th, yes. August 6th. I'll be up there. I'm going to be the host. It's usually about a two-hour event. It's four comedians. I think it's like a $7 cover, $10 cover at the door. Um, but I'll be the host. And, uh, you know, there'll be drinks and food and everything like that. But there's going to be a lot of people out there. And, uh, you know, if you want to come out and see some real comedians, like, I promise you, like, the audience came out to see me, and they stayed for all the other comedians and had a really good time. So it was a um, – it was, but it was a really uh, – it was really a really – a, a fun time. I really did enjoy doing comedy. So, uh, you know, I, hopefully I can, um, get more open mic gigs, um, get some other stuff. I've been, you know, part of my downtime, part of me not being doing the show was, you know, I was working on, um, I've been working on trying to get like an, um, representation, uh, as obviously me and Jeff have talked about, this is a passion project for us. It's something that you hopefully don't one day make money on, but nothing in life like that's ever guaranteed. And I'm working on, you know, obviously in my, in my head, the wrestling chapters closed, and I thought I was still talking about it. I will always talk about wrestling, uh, especially doing this. But the wrestling chapters closed, and I'm trying to get on, you know, maybe do some more comedy stuff. Try to get some other radio gigs. Try to get some some hosting stuff. So all my focus right now, career-wise, is trying to get some representation, um, getting as much reps doing it stuff that I can at places, and 
and start trying to expand my entertainment career uh, because I know I have more to offer than, than wrestling. I always felt that way. Um, but this is uh, hopefully the start of me going towards a new journey of the different things, and I hope the fans follow me with that. Well, and I can tell you firsthand the clip that was sent to me was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> and I, I remember I was in my kitchen. Um, so the way my house is set up, uh, my kitchen and my laundry room are basically right next to each other. So you can kind of have one foot in one room and do your laundry you know, at the same time. And I was getting uh, the basket of laundry separating the whites and the darks. I'm one of those people. Uh, yeah. not one of those heathens that watches it all at once. And, uh, I was separating the lights and the darks. And he sent me the text and I looked at it and it had a uh, video clip attached to it. It's like, like the opening. It yeah. Like the, it was like my intro. It yeah. was like a minute, a minute, minute and a half. And I was like, okay, I immediately stopped doing my laundry and I watched it three times because I laughed over <laughs> some of the jokes. And, I'm going to tell you, there was a line in there about bartenders not getting laid. That <laughs> Did I worked till 5 a.m.? Like, like, that, like, that was enough for me to say, like, there is some promise here that this is going to be very good. I, you know, I sat there, and, and, and we were talking about things, and, and you know, I'll, I'll let the audience know, you know, a couple of things I was talking about. But, you know, I, I, I had dated this girl, and if she listens to this, she'll, she'll call me and kill me. But, uh, you know, she was literally, she literally, I swear to God, man, she was always, um, it was right after, I talked about it in the first podcast, the one that, that, you know, I was in a bad place, but she always get on me for stuff. So when you bartend, you know, for those of you that don't know, New York, last call is, it's a hard 4 a.m. close. So some, Connecticut's a 2 o'clock close, different places are different things. Now on a weekday, you have flexibility, obviously people, unless they're absolute degenerates, aren't out till 3 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, but there's a very active server lifestyle in the restaurant industry. Where, you know, you get out, you get done working. If I if I clock the door up at at, at two o'clock in the morning on a, on a day or whatever, and you clean up, you count out all the money, do everything you have to do. There's always like a late night spot that you can go hang out at, and and it's usually you and other bartenders and servers in the area just going out. Like now you're gonna have your happy hour, and you're gonna go play darts, do whatever you're gonna do. There's nobody around, you know. And and, and on a Friday or Saturday night, where where, where the highest female population is gonna be around. I'm working till 4.35 o'clock in the morning. Number one, at that point, I don't want to bring anybody home because how late do I have to be up? Number two is what girl in their right mind is going to stick around a bar till 5 o'clock in the morning? Like, like that's just ridiculous. It, it just doesn't work. So, you know, but the girl would always get on me. She always asked me, like, you know, like, why do you always, you know, why are you always out so late? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And, you know, and she, 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 she said to me one day, she goes, you know, she goes, you know, if you didn't drink and gamble so much, you know, you'd have a house by now. So, you know, I, I, I remember looking, I looked directly at her. I go, you know, if you had better taste than men, you would too. Like, like, why is it my fault that you pick bad guys to date? Like, it's always the guy's fault on everything. And when I hit that punchline, and I paused it more for dramatic, when I hit that, dude, people started dying, like dying laughing because I think everyone at some point's been there. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like whatever. And then I had just actually, that weekend, I'd, um, I'd met a 21-year-old girl, at, um, and I remember we were outside, she's talking, she's like, she's like, I want to date a guy, you know, I don't want one of these fuck boys, I want to date a guy that has some money, she's like, you know, she's like, you know, like that works hard, she's like, do you have money? I'm like, I have more money than your friends, I have a credit limit, like, you know, like, I'm 33, like, I have things called credit cards, like, I can definitely take care of someone's lifestyle for a month if I want, if I'm that desperate enough to do this thing, so we just started talking about stuff like that, and like, and the situations of dating and all that other stuff. Um, and, and how my date with her went and how the night went. 
And it was just, it was just really funny stuff. It was, it was a good time and it was just a lot of fun. Um, I do have the video somewhere. Uh, I can get it from my friend. But if I get the video, I'll get the video from him this week and I will put, I'll put the first set I ever did up on YouTube so you guys can get more of the dramatic effect of everything. Uh, I think I'm comfortable now releasing that, so I'll do that. But comedy was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, it's fun to cross lines in comedy. It's fun to, it's the only form of entertainment where unless you say something absolutely ridiculously insane and, and offensive, you can pretty much get away with anything, which I think is the right realm for Larry Dallas. I, I think I'm perfect on the, wait, I can't get in trouble for this? Like, that's that's where I belong, not, not getting in trouble for something. So it was a lot of fun, and uh, I really thank all, all, all the people locally that came out. But, you know, if more people want to come out, if you're in the area, man, if you come out and you tell me you listen to this podcast, I will buy your first drink. I will literally buy your first drink. So anyone that comes out from, you know, the area to come out and see me next Monday, I will literally go up to the bartender. I will hand him my, I will hand him my debit card and I'll be like, I got all, I got the first round for every single person that comes in and says they were from this podcast. So I'll make that a thing. So you have to listen before next Monday to do it. You have to show up next Monday. It starts at eight o'clock. Uh, but I will buy your first drink and that is a standing rule. So that was the, uh, Comedy wrap up. So eight, format. eight o'clock, August sixth at the Yorktown, Yorktown Grill. Grill. So go see LD. Uh, First drink his, on LD. His host, his host duties and get a drink, man. First Back. drink on first drink on LD. So that's uh, that's my promise to everybody. The but, host um, with the most. <laughs> but uh, you know, there was um, when we planned to do our show last week. It was uh, the first thing I was going to call it the R word. You know, it was going to be the title of the episode. Um, I'm not doing transitions. I don't fucking give a fuck about transitions right now. No. Uh, um, not on this, especially the topic we're about to talk about. Yeah, so it was, it was, we we're going to call it the R word. Because the big news of the day was Hulk Hogan returning back to the WWE. And I had saw a lot of tweets from Titus O'Neil and The New Day and, and people commenting on things. And I was very proud of them. Because I thought a lot of what they said was very, very poignant and very well thought out, and I think it took a lot of courage. Now, um, you know, in full disclosure, I've had people that I'm very close to get in trouble for saying things on Twitter. That's why I was talking about the baseball players before, and, you know, it came up with the May Young class of people coming up. People were talking about Jessica Havoc, and, um, you know, when she had a WWE tryout for one of those performance center camps, uh, tweets from years ago came out where she had used offensive language, you know, use the N-word, using this, using that, and um, it was in response to, and actually one of my tweets came, one of the tweets towards me came up actually, where she said that she wished I got AIDS and died uh, when I was through with Marty Bell, that was before we actually knew each other, um, hmm. which, which I thought was fine and funny, because it was like, you know, that's the kind of heat I was going for, uh, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the N-word stuff, um, it was in response to, you know, friends mutual friends that, that, that happen to be of a different skin tone than white. Um, and I remember watching that and, and seeing that happen and go, well, you know, um, first of all, you got to be a little bit more uh, smart about what you do. Um, I think we're all learning that lesson now in life. Uh, we were the first generation to have Twitter. And Twitter, when you have 200 friends or, or a couple thousand fans or whatever, and you're going back and forth with your buddies – entertain yourselves and pop yourselves sometimes you do things that you would and say things that you shouldn't say I, I i don't find that as offensive i don't find 
and I'm not in a place to judge what's offensive or not to people, but I, I, I find it to be a very strong difference between people with their friends. It's almost like, what do they call it, man? Uh, like, like, you get the, you get, you get the card, right? Like, like your friends with like, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends that are African American, and they always joke about how, like, you know, like, how you have the pass. Hall pass. You get the, you get the hall pass, right? Like, it's like, if I want to sit that around my buddies and say whatever the hell I want, I can say whatever I want to say because they know me, they like me, like I'm their brother. I choose to never do that because number one, I think it, I think it just it sets a bad precedent for yourself because the vocabulary you use on a daily basis will slip out occasionally, right? Um, if you're drinking, if you're in a private moment. If, if it's in your voc- if it's in your lexicon, it will come out at the wrong moment, almost certainly at some point in your life. So I always made the decision to not use it ever because I never wanted to be um, in a situation where I said it at the wrong time because I was well aware of the fact that yes, my my my, my you know my three black friends from high school or my or my you know seven black friends from wrestling. Might be okay if we're sitting there having a conversation, we're joking back and forth, and we start dropping, you know, the, 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 the GA instead of the ER. Um, but some guy at a bar in White Plains might not like it one day, or some guy at a bar in Manhattan, or some, some somebody somewhere else. And if it's in my vocabulary, it's going to come out. And my biggest problem with Hulk Hogan, the reason why I don't agree with forgiveness at this moment, I, I don't like the mea culpa of you don't know when you're going to get filmed, I'm not going to all of a sudden accidentally start speaking Swahili. You know, I can drink a bottle of Fireball, do any drug in the world, and I'm not going to start speaking Swahili because it's not in my lexicon. In a private moment that was taped, which is absolutely wrong, he said what he said, which means it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't around mixed company where he's with his buddies. He's got the quote-unquote pass. It's in a private moment where he where he felt comfortable enough to say that where it's something he said on a regular basis. And that's where I'm offended. That's where I think he doesn't deserve a second chance because I think that that's actually his true feelings. And, and, it, and you'd be hard-pressed to prove to me that it's not. I, and and that's, that's always been my stance. I used to get in trouble on Sirius for it because they would tell you this in radio. The moment you absolutely say take a stance on something and go, no way, not happening, F this, the conversation's over. So, I, but, but I felt so strongly about that, and I still do. I don't think he should be reinstated, because I don't think that, like, it wasn't a mistake. Clearly, he said that before, because he said it so comfortably. Like, that is my point. And I don't know if you agree, I don't know if the fans agree, I don't care if people agree with me. Like, I, I 1,000% firmly believe my opinion on that's the right one. So I want to I want to preface, preface the, my thoughts on Hogan um, and his reinstatement with a couple of things. Number one, uh, growing up, I was not a Hulkamaniac. Uh, I was not even a Hollywood Hogan fan. I, I just never cared for the performer, uh, the person. You know, the, some of the stuff you'd read, like in the, the dirt sheets and the magazines and stuff. I, I was never, never a Hogan guy. So. Once all of this started coming out, I thought to myself, okay, here's a guy who has alienated and sabotaged the careers of so many people, but drew a ton of money. 
let's be honest here. He's the biggest draw in the history of the business. Um, here's the guy. Well, okay, let's let's adjust for inflation though. I mean, like in terms of time, but it's semantics, really. Um, yes. It's different different periods of time and, and households with access. But when this story initially broke, and you factor in the whole Gawker lawsuit and all that kind of stuff, um, which there's an excellent documentary on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, um, and of course I'd forget the name as I was getting into the transition to it. But bottom line is there is never, ever an excuse to use that word Period. End of report. Passes don't exist. There is no hall pass. And there, there's I, not, and, and 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 it just it's like I will tell I will tell you guys a story. So I uh, my best friend, and and people laugh at this all the time, but you know I'm just a a, a five foot nine Jew from the suburbs. You know uh, I I did not grow up around a lot of African Americans. Is, is Jew offensive? Uh, to me, no, but. I mean, to others, it probably is. Um, but I'm a, I'm a Jewish kid from the suburbs. And I I had a couple of African-American friends growing up in elementary school that uh, ended up moving to different high schools. Uh, for uh, One for basketball purposes. The other was thrown out of my high school for drugs. And it was very unfortunate that we would go our separate ways. And, I, and the one friend that's still alive, uh, my Friend Marcus has passed, since passed away, but my friend that's uh, still alive, Stan, uh, I talk to him on a regular basis. He's a great guy. And I had a lot of, of African-American friends when I got to high school uh, because all the elementary and middle schools would combine for the one high school in our, our city. And recently, uh, about a year ago, uh, my friend Mike, who is – a basketball player, he plays for the Wisconsin Herd, which is the G League team of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, he's somebody that I've been friends with now for five years. Uh, you know, one of my best friends on the planet. Somebody I talk to almost on a daily basis. Um, somebody that may end up being a guest on this show, talking about what life is like playing in a minor league basketball uh, league and some of the freebies he got from the NCAA. But we'll save that toward basketball season. Mike, uh, one day was coming back with me from cryotherapy, which is the recovery device that, uh, people like LeBron James use. A lot of athletes use it. You freeze in a chamber for three minutes. Uh, it's 275 degrees below zero and you have nothing but a pair of boxers on and a pair of slippers and you freeze. So Mike was coming back with me in the car and it's about 40 minutes from my house and, I handed him my phone. I said, you know what? Play DJ. I don't want to listen to, to talk radio. And so he's scanning through, and he's pretty excited with what he sees in my music library. And uh, he puts on an Ice Cube song. Uh, the song was called The N-Word That You Love to Hate. Right. And I'm, I'm a big Ice Cube fan. I, I think he is a lyrical genius. Um, I was a huge fan of, of N.W.A., um, and I just, I like the way he puts words together, um, in a creative, you know, scent. So he, he played the song and, you know, it was like the third or fourth Ice Cube song that he had played. And I was singing along to like every song and I knew he noticed something. Like there's that sense when you're around somebody that notices, you know, 
you're kept not muting yourself. Yeah, I, I kept muting myself. <laughs> and so we're midway through this song, and he pauses the song. I said, "What are you pausing the song for?" He goes, "You're not going to say it, are you?" And I said, "Say what?" And he goes, "The N word." I said, "Why would I say that?" He goes, "Well, it's the name of the song." I'm playing the song. You're singing every single other solitary lyric to these songs except that word. I said, Mike, you are six foot ten. I am driving a car on the highway right now. What are you going to do to me if I say that word? Which I won't. He says, I'm just, I'm just testing your racism meter. Like, are you a racist? I said, no. Like, I'm, I clearly, he goes, I know you're not racist. And in reality, and this is, this is a complete aside, uh, in German, Schwartz, my last name, means black. And apparently, you know, dating back, I, I have some sort of African American, well, not African American, but African ancestry, way down the line. And I, I'm explaining all this to him, but, um, I talked to him about the Hogan thing because he was a big Hulk Hogan fan. Right. Um, despite being a basketball player that somehow doesn't like basketball, um, he did love wrestling. And Mike told me, he said, you know, Hogan being a racist doesn't affect his fandom of the performer. Right. And that blew my mind. Blew, blew, blew my mind because Mike is not somebody that – I could picture, you know, backing up somebody that just threw the N-word out there like that. Right. And in regards to the, the bigger issue at hand is welcoming him back into the WWE family. Right. Clearly, I, and I think both you and I would agree on this, they put him in front of a camera, it's going to be the biggest pop you could imagine. Yeah. Like, it, like, like he never did anything wrong. That locker room is going to become so fractured by including him and making him a focal point again. You can't do that. It's so disrespectful on not only the fact that he is using racist language. He's not apologizing for using the racist language and making things right by donating money to the NAACP or some sort of uh, you know group that works toward racial harmony in in diverse communities. He's apologizing because it was caught on tape, right? And that there are there are PR firms that deal with these kind of damages, um, you know, that can kind of shine up a situation, if you yeah. will, um. But I just, for the life of me, I don't see the benefit of bringing him back into this universe, for lack of a better term, because you're going to alienate the Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, Big E, Titus O'Neil. And um, rightfully so. And I, I know you're friends with, with Uha. Yes. Uh, Apollo Crews. Have you have you talked to him about this? I have not because I, I just have no. Like, I, it's not. It's just not. I'm not interested in other people's opinions on it, so I don't talk to him about it because it just it doesn't it doesn't interest me to have that kind of open dialogue with people because everybody's different, and I think a lot of people be like, "Hey, man, life is what it is." 
and I get that. It's just as a public voice, like I just don't think I, I, I think there's a difference between stupidity and malice, and 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 you know I think people tweeting things when they're young and they're dumb. I think that's just stupidity, and and I, and I think that what Hogan said was habitual, and I, I think there's a very big difference between that. And I wish that like. We didn't draw these hard lines that that everyone that says anything offensive when they're younger or whatever is automatically a racist. Like I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. You know, there's like there's like southern racist and there's like city racist. Like 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 mm-hmm. I called it almost Brooklyn racism, where it's just like like Archie Bunker racism. Like Archie didn't hate people; he just hated things that were different than his neighborhood, and yep. like. And like, yes, that that's 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 blatant ignorance, and yes, the terms are racist. Big difference between that and racist, and and, and I it just it's it's just I don't know, man. It's a hard conversation to have because people don't want to be open minded about the dialect. It's it's just it's just it's, it's true. The other uh, parallel that we're talking about here is Josh Hader, a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, and, and, the, and then the kid the kid yesterday too. Uh, that did a no hitter, almost did. Oh, from Atlanta. Atlanta. Um, his name escapes me. I somehow the Braves became good. I have no idea how. So I, I uh, you no, know, I and the Nationals that. are terrible. Which uh, uh, I'll talk about that all day. No, that makes me sad. Um, I've liked them since they were in Montreal. But the the, the the tweets that have come up from Josh Hader, this kid from the Atlanta Braves. I think there's a lot to be said about the term maturity. And I'm not the same person I was when I was 25 as a 32-year-old. You're not the same person you were as a 25-year-old, as a 33-year-old now. We there There's a, a period of growth. Hogan is six, 65 years old. Yeah. Something like that? Whatever it is. You you can't teach an old dog new tricks. No. Listen, and and here's the thing. It's it's sad, really. There's a reason why people are tried as minors. Yeah. Because they don't understand that they don't understand the they don't understand the the, the 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 depths of the crime they committed. And I think to go back to do people that are young um doing dumb things, I think it's I think it's I think it's I think it's hurtful. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, um, I don't think it's progressive. And I don't, I really don't. Um, I think there's a certain age where you lose that pass, like, uh, the, the, the kid pass, but, you know, we're, we're going after these athletes and these people now for things they did when they were younger, when they were dumb, before they understood the, the, the weight of gravity of, of, of social media and Twitter. And it's not like it reflected a personal opinion. Maybe it did at the time. Maybe it did, maybe it did at the t- What, what 16 year old, 15 year old kid like when it, when it comes to like again, I, I've worked, I've worked parties that that were for the LGBT community, like you know major stuff for the for, for, for the for the for the LGBTQ community. At fifteen, I don't know if you were as comfortable with the idea of homosexuality as you are now as an adult, because now I don't give a shit what anyone does with their lives. Can I say the same thing about me at fifteen? I don't know. I would like to. I would like to hope that I thought that way, but it wasn't as prevalent then. So it's just like it's just we're, we're punishing these people for for being when they're young and dumb. And it's just like God, like is that what we're going after now? Like really? Like there's not bigger issues? Like, no, like, there are big, 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 bigger threats to communities. Yeah, there are far bigger issues to communities. There are far bigger issues to to our country as a whole right now that 
you know, as we become more divided as a people, there's a major divide in how you look at these issues. You know, on one hand, there's a group of people that would say all racism and all racist commentary fits in one little bag. Yeah. It's, but then there's the other more open-minded situation where we can look at it and say, okay, this is a 17-year-old kid who was showing off to his buddies, who may have grown up in a small town. I don't know where Josh Hader grew up, for full disclosure. Doesn't make what he said right. Doesn't make what he he doesn't need to to say. Oh, you know, I said it when I was 17. That was you know years ago. He needs to say, look, I said it. I was I was wrong. Uh, it shows a sign of maturity. Here's what I'm going to do going forward to teach the lesson that you don't do that kind of stuff. Right. Hogan could have been more proactive in this situation. But instead, he led with, oh, well, I didn't know I was being filmed. That, to me, shows that he truly is not apologetic about his thoughts and beliefs and and the statements that he said. Not, not And not to mention the fact, this is how he's talking about his daughter. Yeah. What is, like... Very, uh, very Trump-esque. Yes, and, and I mean I, well, I'm not even going to go there with with the the side story I was going to follow up with because it's not fair to the the people involved. But there the this Hogan thing directly affects the WWE roster and employees of WWE. It's a publicly traded company set to have a one billion dollar plus. TV deal. Granted, it's with Fox, but nevertheless, I just, I, I can't see how nobody from the upper management at WWE, Triple H, Stephanie, Shane, Vince, anybody, Kevin Dunn, anybody, didn't go to him and say, look, we want you back, we need you back in terms of marketing and, and our history of our company, we can't just you know, ignore your lineage here. Apologize in this manner. And I think it's going to, it's not going to be immediate, but we're going to slowly but surely bring you back into the fold. Yeah. Instead, they went, here's Hogan at at Extreme Rules. He's going to talk to the locker room. And then he fucked up his own apology. It happens, man. It's it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's insane. So it's just it's just absolutely insane. And you know, I mean, it 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 just is what it is. It's just I I just can't believe they would do it. But um, well, you know, speaking of of mea culpas, not to cut off Hulk Hogan by any stretch of imagination, but I would love to. Um, I do have an apology of my own. I would like to make. Uh, a few weeks on this, a few weeks ago on the show, uh, I talked about LeBron James, and I called him out for a lot of things that he did, in fact, do during the last four years here in Northeast Ohio. And I specifically said, uh, in regards to the school that he was opening, that he wouldn't have the balls to even show up to open the school. Well, today is July 30th, or July, yeah, July 30th, and. 
not only did LeBron show up and open the school, he gave his first public comments about his choice in teams that he plays for and why he left Cleveland again. And he opened his I Promise Academy today in Akron, Ohio. Um, it, Of course, if you know the Goodyear uh, Rubber Company, uh, the Goodyear Blimp, I'm sure people have seen uh, over sporting events. The city of Akron uh, used to be a very big, booming city of industry, and unfortunately it is not. It is not the rubber capital of the world anymore. Um, quite frankly, the city has, outside of a couple of blocks downtown, become a very run-down urban area. And LeBron James, over the course of the last four years, has built up this endowment uh, to send kids to college through his I Promise Foundation. And I'm here to, to apologize to LeBron. Um, not LeBron the basketball player, but LeBron the person. Uh, he did show up today to open up his school along with his family, uh, his wonderful wife Savannah, uh, who I have known now since 2002, so 16 years. Um, and his, his three kids, uh, Bronnie, Bryce, and Zuri, uh, his daughter. Uh, the whole family was there to open up the academy this morning. And over the next five years, they're projecting that, that LeBron James and this foundation will be paying for 10,000 kids to attend college. And I just think that is one of the most incredible uh, concepts. It, it's mind-blowing that, that one man and one foundation is going to pay for 10,000 kids uh, who complete this I Promise education program to go to college. And I think that's that's really the sign of somebody who gets his hometown. He may not give a shit about playing for them or, you know, be interested in what they're doing day to day, but he's going to be paying for them to attend college. And as we all know, college is a very expensive uh, proposition, depending on where you go to school, it could be anywhere from, you know, four or five grand a year to, I just, uh, heard that, uh, the tuition at Duke was gonna be $52,000 a year. Um, so kudos to LeBron James, kudos to Savannah Brinson James, and the rest of the I Promise Foundation, um, making Akron a better place one kid at a time. I, I just, I think that's amazing. Now, now, you know, I I got to get to a to a open mic tonight, a couple in about an hour and a half. But you know, um, it, you know, what, what LeBron's doing is absolutely fantastic. I think it's good that you give back. I think that's what you're supposed to do when you're a celebrity at that level. And um, you know, but since you're talking about athletes with kids, uh, oh god, you know, uh, when we last spoke a couple weeks ago, I had said that um, you know, the Mets were so bad that. They literally got sent to Canada on 4th of July. Got sent to Canada. Only American team not playing in America on our nation's birthday. So, you know, since that time, you know, the All-Star break came and, you know, teams have come and gone. And that's been a little bit of a winning streak. And my stud pitcher, my uh, my comic book hero, my Thor, my Noah Syndergaard, 
got Coxsackies, got a kid's disease, legitimately a kid's disease, hands, foot, and mouth disease. It, 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 it puts sores in your mouth. I never had it as a kid, but apparently you get like, sores on your uh, rashes on your hands and your feet, and you get big blistering sores inside your mouth. It's a child's disease. And my pitcher was out there doing a charity function with a bunch of kids, you know, that, that athletes do. Like LeBron's doing with the tuition thing for college, but on a lower level. And he gets Coxsackies. He has missed two starts. The Mets are so bad. They are so bad. They are so inept at everything they do that my pitcher, my stud pitcher, gets a childhood disease at a charity function for children. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's preventable. I don't know if it's something that I could get if I was at a freaking child's birthday party. I don't know. Only thing I do know is that my team is so inept and God hates them so much, so much, so much, that he got a childhood disease. Now, it's okay. I'm not gonna ever forget this. It's strange that it happened. I can't believe it happened. But it happened. You know, people are getting traded. The Mets traded Cabrera to, to, to the Phillies. They traded, they traded Familia to the A's for, for a bag of balls. You know, apparently my pitchers are safe because the Mets, I just read on Twitter right now that the, the Mets still think they're in contention next year and they can do good things. You know, you, you, they used to say God hates Cleveland. And everyone writes off New York all the time. They go like, oh, you know, the Yankees. 27-time world champions, whatever it is. But there's another, there's a subsection of New York. You know, I'm a Giant fan, so I had two championships in my lifetime that I can remember. You know, I'm a Nick fan, and, you know, Lord knows we'll never be good. I'm a Met fan. They won a World Series when I was still one years old. I think you're still in diapers at that age. But New York is cursed, too. We just have one thing holding us up. New York is like a, like New York, New York sports is like an economy that's held together by like by a Ponzi scheme, it literally New York sports <laughs> New York sports is literally held together by the Yankees. The Yankees are Bernie Madoff. The Yankees are Bernie Madoff. And the ir- and the irony of that is that Bernie Madoff took money from the Wilpons. Yes, of course he did. Because of course it was the Mets. Of course it was the Mets. Because legitimately, on a New York sports level. Right? If you think about this, and I really, I really, 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 really want to drill down this for a second. If you take the Yankees out of the equation, if you just, t- just take the Yankees out, because there's a population of this, of, of, of this, of this state that's not Yankee fans. So you take the Yankees out, you take their 27 championships, which yes, Yankee fans, I know how much you won, but you've been alive for five of them. Most of the years have been alive for five of them. So take that shit and stick it up your ass right now. Okay? Because I'm tired of hearing about the 27 championships. Tired of hearing about New York being the Mecca. Tired of hearing about Madison Avenue. Tired of hearing about how we're the place everyone wants to be. Okay? My pitcher gets a kid's disease. My star outfielder, they signed to a multi-million dollar contract, multi-year contract with bad heels. The Knicks can't get out of their own goddamn way. Hockey, no one watches in this country except Canada. You know, Canada watches hockey. So, like, the Rangers haven't been in the world to stand the Cups in 94 anyway. So, whatever team you want to talk about, pick a team. Because the Mets are dumpster fire. Once again, because they, they have one good season or two good seasons every 10 years, the Knicks have literally not been good since the 90s. They couldn't, you know, we had the Jordan effect. They, they, 
they they make the, the Knicks the Knicks the, like the Knicks legitimately legitimately if you think about this the two times Jordan retired the first year the Knicks went to the finals the two times they got lost to the Rockets started that little mini dynasty for two years then they lost to the Spurs and you know how the Spurs turned out so when Jordan was gone it was supposed to be our time over and over again and we constantly got beat the Knicks have not been good for years New York sports is a dumpster fire and no one wants to say it no one ever wants to say it because you sit there and you go, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees. Well, you know what happens in October when the Yankees are seven games outside of the Red Sox and they go into a wild card game and maybe they lose, maybe they win, but they're out in the divisional series. Then we have baseball, then we have basketball, and we have football. And I got a, I got a Giants team that might be good, might not be good. You have a Jet team that couldn't get their quarterback into camp on time. You, you, you have a Ranger, you have a hockey team that, that, that's rebuilding. The Islanders can't get out of their own way. And the Devils are Jersey, so they don't count. And then you have a basketball team that's inept. New York City is literally a Ponzi scheme of sports because everyone just points to the Yankees. No one wants to come to us because we have a higher tax bracket. Because if I'm an athlete, I'm going to sign somewhere. Now LeBron's the, LeBron's the exclusion here. Me, personally, and I talk to about people who go, dude, 15 million, 15 million, screw tax. I'll pay tax on 25 million. Me? I'll go to Texas. I'll go to Florida. I don't give a shit about winning. I want money. I tried winning my whole life. I'm, I'm all about money now. New York sports is an absolute disgrace. The Metro disgrace. How does your pitcher get a childhood virus? Like, I can't even comprehend that happening to anybody else but the New York Mets. And I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And I, and I have nothing to look forward to. All I got is Saquon Barkley. That's all I got. So, I got Saquon. So here's uh, here, it's a foot and mouth disease. Like that's that's a pretty funny situation, I guess you could say. But baseball has a history of silly, ridiculous, stupid injuries happening to people. So here's here's a list of just a couple examples. Uh, in uh, <laughs> in 2013. Um, Cleveland Indians, uh, then he pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals, but he, he presently is in the Indians organization. Mark Zipchinski was injured during a golf outing in spring training when a golf ball ricocheted and hit the left-handed reliever around his eye. He missed his scheduled start and was listed as day-to-day. Uh, I can go back to 1996 when Marty Cordova, then playing outfield for the Cleveland Indians, fell asleep in a tanning bed and missed a series against the Baltimore Orioles. Carl Pavano, a free agent uh, during the 2012-2013 offseason, suffered a ruptured spleen after falling while shoveling snow at his home in Vermont. Uh, Sammy Sosa sprained his neck sneezing. Yeah. Uh, here's another good one. Dan Ugla, former second baseman of the Marlins. Uh, I believe he also played for the Atlanta Braves. Suffered a cut. Horrible infielder. Oh, oh, God. He was one of the worst defensive infielders. Cost us the All-Star game. Uh, was it the one that was a tie? That All-Star game? I believe it was. Uh, suffered a cut on his hand that required stitches after he reached into an ice bin for a drink during a playoff celebration, causing him to miss two of the last three regular season games. Uh, here's a good one for you. This is New York Met, uh, Lucas Duda. Uh, broke his right wrist in October of 2012 while moving furniture at his apartment in Southern California. That's right. Um, I mean, the, the level of silliness here just it only maximizes. 
Uh, Jonathan Lucroy was reaching under his hotel room bed for a lost sock when his wife shifted a suitcase, causing it to fall on his hand. Lucroy suffered a broken hand and required surgery. Did, didn't someone slip, sleep on a, on a stiff bed once, too, and that caused him to be out? Uh, yes, that was... Uh, I'm just looking at this big list, but it's got pictures, so it's not a straight list. Um, that would be Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, slept on his shoulder wrong at a hotel in Kansas City. It's a, it's a rough life out there in baseball world. Baseball's got the worst injuries, and it's it's just such a weird a weird world. I mean, I I kind of I played a lot of baseball growing up. I played through high school. Played um, you know up until the last couple of years, played in an adult baseball league. So not softball, baseball. Um, it's it's a silly place, and baseball players are less mature than pro wrestlers. So that should tell you. Sam made it. Sam made him alone, bro. Yep. So, well, we we do want to wrap on that note because Larry does have to get to his open mic gig. Um, we're going to do another episode here shortly. We'll talk SummerSlam and Roman Reigns on top, amongst some other things. Uh want to remind everybody that they need to get out next Monday to the Yorktown Grill. Uh, that's Monday, August 6th at 8 o'clock for Larry doing uh, a hosting duties and some comedy. And First buy, drinks on uh, me for anyone that comes that comes from the podcast. So uh, check that out. And uh, we'll wrap with some plugs. Uh, of course, Radio ZT, our, our scientist of sound, Zach Johnson. Um, cool nickname. Yeah, I, I, I stole that from uh, the movie Love and Mercy, a biopic on Brian Wilson. Um, next week we'll talk about uh, SummerSlam, Roman Reigns being on top. I do want to give a movie review for Skyscraper. I saw that. Uh, it was awesome. Oh, oh but by the way, MoviePass might be out of business by like tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, we'll also talk about that too. Um, so uh, I some, want my money. I want my year subscription back. Some some plugs. Uh, Zach Johnson at Radio ZT. My Twitter is at the Jeff Schwartz. You can hear me every Tuesday on an Honorable Mention podcast with Shane Hagedorn talking about Ring of Honor's glory years. Um, the Twitter handle for the show is at an Honorable Pod. Uh, LD, give us your plugs. Uh, just like, like I said, Yorktown Grill for comedy on Monday night. Come on out and support me if you want to come out. I uh, will hang out with everybody that comes out afterwards. Um, like I said, first drinks on me. Um, you know, on the scene LD with LD, on scene with LD is the Twitter thing for the for the for the for the show at Larry Dallas New York. Also, I, like I said, I'm looking for representation. I'm looking for entertainment gigs. I'm looking for everything I can do. So I'm working on that currently. But if you have any leads or know anywhere that you think I should go, I am always open to suggestions. As um, you know, like I said, I uh, move on to the next chapters of my life. Um, but. You know, this is this show is going to keep on going on. I have a lot of fun doing this. I have a lot of fun interacting with you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it too. Feedback's always welcome. And uh, as always, I love you guys. All right, everybody. We will see you when we see you. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, buddy.